Our God is with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He stopped at Sychar, a town in Samaria, near the tract of land Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, weary from the journey, came and sat by the well. It was around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The disciples had gone off to the town to buy provisions. The Samaritan woman replied, You are a Jew. How can you ask me, a Samaritan, and a woman, for a drink? Since Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If only you recognized God's gift and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have given him a drink instead, and he would have given you living water. If you please, she challenged Jesus, you don't have a bucket, and this well is deep. Where do you expect to get this living water? Surely you don't pretend to be greater than our ancestors, Leah and Rachel and Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it with their descendants and flocks. Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. No, the water I give will become fountains within them springing up to provide eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Give me this water, so that I won't grow thirsty and have to keep coming all the way here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and then come back here. I don't have a husband, replied the woman. You're right. You don't have a husband, Jesus exclaimed. The fact is, you've had five, and the man you're living with now is not your husband, so what you've said is quite true. I can see you are a prophet, answered the woman. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people claim that Jerusalem is the place where God ought to be worshipped. Jesus told her, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship Abba God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you don't understand. We worship what we do understand. After all, salvation is from the Jewish people. Yet the hour is coming, and is already here, when real worshipers will worship Abba God in spirit and truth. Indeed, it is just such worshipers whom Abba God seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah, the Anointed One, is coming and will tell us everything. Jesus replied, I who speak to you am the Messiah. 
The disciples returning at this point were shocked to find Jesus having a private conversation with a woman. But no one dared to ask, what do you want of him? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water jar and went off into the town. She said to the people, come and see someone who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? At that, everyone set out from town to meet Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus told them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. At this, the disciples said to one another, Do you think someone has brought him something to eat? Jesus explained to them, Doing the will of the one who sent me and bringing his, this work to completion is my food. Don't you have a saying, four months more and it will be harvest time? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe and ready for harvest. Reapers are already collecting their wages. They're gathering fruit for eternal life. And sower and reaper will rejoice together. So the saying is true. One person sows, another reaps. I have sent you to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the work, and you've come upon the fruits of their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus on the strength of the woman's testimony, that he told me everything I ever did. The result was that when these Samaritans came to Jesus, they begged him to stay with them a while. So Jesus stayed there two days, and through his own spoken word, many more came to faith. They told the woman, No longer does our faith depend on your story. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. The good news. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Why was there such an ugly divide between Jews and Samaritans? I ask that question with sadness as I ponder how divided our world is now, particularly our own country, red states versus blue states, talk among political extremists about civil war or having some kind of national divorce, increasing intolerance of transgender folks or immigrants, the nastiness between Jews and Samaritans of biblical times has plenty of modern-day parallels. <coughs> Jesus' uh, fellow Jews rarely put Samaritans in a positive light. Our passage today says Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Luke has a couple of stories about virtuous Samaritans, but they are presented in a way that suggests that finding goodness among those people was surprising. To fully appreciate the Samaritan woman at the well story, looks, let's look at the history of that rift. It all started with the split between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah around 900 BCE. Now to keep it simple... 
uh, let's just call these two North and South. Tribes of the North tried to compete with South where Jerusalem had built the great temple. North had the holy mountain as their place of worship, their temple as it were, and their own royal line to rival that of David. So, while South was more David-centered, North had its identity more in the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. North founded its own capital city that they named Samaria, and the whole region became known as Samaria. You're aware, of course, of the Babylonian exile that took place in the 6th century BCE, when South, Jerusalem, was tragically defeated, the temple destroyed, and its inhabitants were forcibly relocated to Babylon. Those who returned roughly 50 years later had steadfastly refused to let go of their precious religious heritage and customs. No intermarriage for them, no worshipping of the false gods of, Bab of Babylon. They saw themselves as the pure, faithful remnant who would honor their God and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. The history lesson's almost done. Hang in here with me. <laughs> now North, that is Samaria, had experienced a similar exile a couple of centuries earlier when it was defeated in war with Assyria. Much of its population had been taken away and the conquerors repopulated the land with foreigners. Now, unlike what happened to South Jerusalem when they were exiled, the Samaritans, North, were said to have intermarried and watered down their religion by taking on the customs of the new population. The righteous Jews of the South looked down their noses at the Samaritans, seeing them as half-breeds, no better than Gentiles, who had no respect for the ancestors they claimed to honor, and certainly no regard for the law of Moses. Corrupt religion, infidelity to God, tainted bloodlines, that's how South looked at North, how Jerusalem characterized Samaria. And they wanted nothing to do with them. And the resentment was mutual. That's the ugly background for this for the fictional story we commonly call the Samaritan woman at the well. John the Evangelist constructs this tale to deliberately place Jesus in the middle of that ancient divide. And in doing so, John presents Jesus as the pathway to the remarkable awakening the woman had. She woke up. She became woke. Because she learned through Jesus to let old resentments and old prejudices and grudges just die. Let them die. We all need to do that. Death leads to awakening. But it isn't just our bodies that must die. Old divisions between us must die too. If we want to be truly awake, if we want to have a resurrected life, if Lent is to have any meaning at all. Today's gospel story is best thought of as an allegory. The woman is a symbolic character. She represents all of Samaria. It is a dialogue not with a woman, but with a region that needed special outreach. Samaria, a place that for far too long was ignored and disdained. It starts off with Jesus asking the woman for a drink. 
You are a Jew, she says. How can you ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink? Cups and utensils from Samaritans were considered unclean. You can't take a drink from one of them. And John didn't have to explain the scandal associated with a rabbi talking to a woman in public. But the story features one Jew, Jesus, who broke those seemingly impenetrable barriers. That is what transformational people do. They break some rules. You have to break some rules. They make old, unjust ways die so that new awakenings can happen. Then John's Jesus spoke of water in a highly symbolic way. We always think of baptism, don't we, when we hear water mentioned in the scriptures? But it's different here. Jesus offers living water, which the late Bishop John Spong said is a synonym for the spirit that binds human life together. Living water is a synonym for the spirit that binds human life together. It defeats all that divisiveness. John's Jesus offers water, spirit, that washes away the absurd boundaries that separate Jew from Samaritan, black from white, male from female, gay from straight, rich from poor, liberal from conservative. Living water is the spirit that unites, that heals divisions and destroys barriers. And Jesus is offering it. Living means that it moves, it flows, it bubbles up, it gurgles, it splashes, it sprays. <laughs> it, it, is not, it is stirred, it is not stagnant. It changes things. It is active and creative and healing and dynamic. It is the water of the Spirit that flows even out of rock. <laughs> Strike the rock, God told Moses in today's first reading, and the water will flow from it for the people to drink. And so it did, the story says. And it shut them up. The griping and complaining in the desert stopped, and the rift between Moses and the Israelites was gone. Living water does that. Living water, the spirit that binds human life together, was what Jesus was offering. And just as it had power in Moses' day, it had the ability to transform hearts in New Testament times and beyond. John's Jesus wants to give a fountain leaping up to provide eternal life. Then there is the exchange about the five husbands. This is a reference from the second book of Kings that mentions that Samaria had been populated after their exile, which I mentioned earlier, with people from five different foreign tribes. Conquered people that the Assyrian king just wanted to place there. Samaria is said to have bonded with the false gods of those five different tribes and were thus unfaithful to the true God. For far too long, Christians have looked at the woman at the well story only on one level, as a tale about a sexually immoral woman with five husbands, like some Hollywood diva. But the woman is a symbol, not a real person. 
What is exposed is systematic infidelity to the God who moves us to personal and communal transformation. What is exposed in the story is infidelity to the God who calls us to do justice and to break down barriers and prejudices. The story is not about a loose woman. It's about a loose nation and infidelity to the true God of compassion. The lesson seems to be that nations have to stop marrying false gods, such as greed or militarism or fossil fuels. Nations have to stop ignoring the poor, tolerating massive income inequality, allowing millions to have inadequate health care, accepting racism and sexism and hatred of immigrants and trans folks. Nations must divorce their false gods, divorce the enemies of love. I can see you are a prophet, she says to Jesus. She was so right. Prophecy, criticizing the system, is a major part of making old, unjust ways die, leading to new awakenings. The conversation in today's gospel moved on to the topic of proper worship. The woman, symbolizing all of Samaria, says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you people claim that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship God. Who's right? I can transcend that conflict too, John's Jesus seems to tell her. No need to worship at either place. The place just doesn't matter. What? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You mean disregard the, the Jerusalem with its precious temple? Forget the holy mountain? Authentic worshipers, Jesus says, worship in spirit and truth. It is just such worshipers that God seeks. It doesn't matter where you pray. It's far important that your prayer be real and from the heart. So wake up and let those old ideas about worship die as well. Still one more barrier is broken down. After the woman becomes excited about this message and is convinced that she has met the Messiah, she goes off to spread the good news. She becomes an instant evangelist, off on a mission to the rest of Samaria. Women just didn't do that kind of thing. John seems to have gone out of his way to be sure that women played prominent and honored roles in his stories, such as evangelist. John knew it would not be popular to do that in the patriarchy of his time, but he did it anyway. John seems to want us to know that once you wake up, and truly encounter the Christ, the living water, the spirit that binds human life together. Once you encounter that, there is no unjust barrier that cannot die, that cannot be overcome. Not even the entrenched patriarchy that prevented women evangelists. Jesus exposes the silliness of the Jew-Samaritan divide. He steps off the pages of John as the assassinator of all that has to die, showing us how to kill off old feuds and mend divisions, expand hearts and open minds, escorting us on a whole new pathway so that those deaths can lead us to powerful new awakenings. It's a pattern we see all the time in nature. 
Winter dies and the dormant buds in the good earth wake up. And we see daffodils blooming in late February. In the same way, Christ, the living water, bids me to let my old prejudices die, my sometimes judgmental attitudes toward social conservatives, for example, and I wake up rediscovering the original goodness of my creation. I could give more specific examples of this holy example, but we had a long gospel reading, and this is turning into a long sermon. So, I'll leave the examples to you. Tell us about the deaths you have encountered and the awakenings they led to.